hey, if you're listening to this show, you probably hate when someone says to you, smile, it's not so bad. Oh, isn't that so annoying? You want to know what will make you smile without having an annoying a-hole tell you to? This show, just listening to it. So thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to Mentally Chill, the coolest pod in all the land. I said that last week and I guess now I'm going to have to say it every week. So congratulations for making it here. You found the coolest thing on earth. And I'm your host, Kristen Carney. Um, and uh, so that's the show. Good night, everybody. Just kidding. But what I'm not kidding about is that I want to say thank you to everyone who has contributed so far on Patreon. You guys are the true heroes. The true, I've rescued someone from a burning building person. Because that's kind of what I'm in metaphorically. And you guys are rescuing me from that. So I am going to go through and read name by name every single person who has been so awesome and gracious to contribute. And if you want to hear your name read over the air by the infamous moi, you better help out on Patreon and help the show. Because if you're listening, that means you're liking. And if you're liking, you should be donating because I need your help so that I can make the show everything that it should be and more. So first of all, just want to say thank you to everyone um, up to this point. That means Alex R., you're the bomb. Jonah Benson, sorry I said your name, your full name. Uh, you're also the bomb because your last name starts with B. Brittany B., you're also the bomb because your name also starts with B. Michael W. J., your name doesn't start with B, but you still the bomb. Valerie M., also amazing chick. Maria B., oh, another B., well, B.S. Oh, that's too bad. Your initials are, your last initials are B.S. because it's like bullshit. But you are not bullshit because you donated and you're awesome, Maria. Thank you. Kaylee K. Cool name. Thanks for donating. Brody M. Your name rhymes with kind of like bone marrow. And that's awesome. Serena B. Also the bomb. Why are there so many Bs? This was not intentional. It's crazy. Um... The chick that I don't know the name, but your screen name starts with 50. What up, sister? Thanks for donating. Kevin P., you're the palm um, because your name starts with P and it doesn't start with B. But palm like palm tree. So that's awesome. That's a good thing to be. Michael G., you're the gangster. Thanks for donating. Jesse H., you know who you are. Thanks, man. You're the best. Raina or Rena? Maybe Rena. Maybe Raina. I don't know. Raina M., you the man, even though you're a woman. Wuha, cool name, not your real name. Thanks for donating. And Blake, so you definitely the bomb because your name also starts with B, but also because you donated a crazy amount a month. And I am really, 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 really deeply, deeply grateful. I'm deeply grateful to everyone as well. Um, You guys have all been super generous. Blake kind of like got unreasonable with this donation, but I will accept it. Um on behalf of the Academy. So thank you, Blake, so much. That was so generous of you. So Blake donated into the category that has like the reward or perk of doing a Skype call with me once a month. I don't know if everyone would consider that a perk, Um, but he and I spoke briefly, we haven't done the Skype call yet, but he and I spoke briefly over Instagram Messenger 
And he informed me that he's going through a really hard time. The show is helping him a lot because he has to take care of a sick mother right now and had to move from California to Virginia. And I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry that you had to move to Virginia. That's a taking care of your mom isn't as bad as Virginia joke for all of you guys that don't know my sense of humor. And if you guys don't know it, get to know it because it's the best. But I did want to mention this real quickly because Blake's going through something and what I've learned is depression is a day-by-day thing. And my friend Glenn Rockowitz, who's writing a second book called Might, and I'm reading it and giving him feedback. I did mention it on the podcast with Mike Carano. And Glenn's going to come on the show. Glenn, if you're listening, the reason you haven't been on the show yet is because I cannot figure out how to get Skype to record into GarageBand. I've downloaded like two software things illegally and they don't work and I'm going to hell because they're illegal. So that really worked out well for me, Glenn. Um, but what's unique about his situation is that he and his father both had cancer at the same time and his father passed away. Um, but he, I'm sorry, but his father was a psychiatrist and there's a wonderful quote in the book that I am kind of prematurely putting out there on my podcast, which I don't have permission to. So glad I'm going to text you and just let you know that I did it without permission. So I'm still not going to have permission, but at least, you know, I know I didn't have permission, but, and I'm going to paraphrase. It's not the exact quote, but because Glenn's father was a psychiatrist and he was incredibly insightful and funny, which insightful and funny, I believe go hand in hand. But he said that depression is, is like a day-to-day thing where tomorrow might not be better, but it will be different. And different is the only way to get better. And I'm sorry, Len, if I did not quote that correctly, but I think it's so true. And that's from my experience exactly right. I think tomorrow, when people say tomorrow is going to be a new day, I don't like that phrase because it makes it sound like tomorrow is going to be better. And then when it's not better, it's a letdown and disappointing. Whereas if you say tomorrow is different, then the expectation isn't for it to be great. It's to have a different experience. And all of those different experiences eventually lead to better. And so Blake going forward, you'll know that this is temporary and that tomorrow probably will suck. It will suck in a different way than today did or yesterday did. But eventually that different will start morphing into better. And um, whatever. What do I know? Why do I, I... I can't give pep talks. I'm not a positive person. I'm cynical. I tried, Blake. But anyway, <laughs> thank you. I just... Now as I say thank you, I'm very grateful to everyone who donated And if you guys do want to donate, please go to patreon.com slash mentally chill, or you can go to mentally chill podcast.com. It'll redirect you to my website and there will be a button there that says, uh, become a patron. So just click that and donate your life savings to me. Um, which could mean for some people a dollar or for some other people, it could mean a million dollars. Either way, I accept both. They are both incredibly acceptable. So I would really, really appreciate it. The other thing I want you guys to do for me is strip naked right now. Thank you. You guys look great. No, the other thing that I want you to do is to tell a friend and help um, grow this audience because um, 
I think for obvious reasons. I don't need to explain it. Anyway, thank you so much to everyone who's donated. You guys are da bomb because all those B names donated. We'll, um, we'll call you guys da bomb from now on. So anyway, there's that. And now I'll get into the show. So I'm doing the show alone. Before I started recording today, I had to take a shower. I just, my hair was really greasy. And I know you guys can see me the whole time I'm recording. So I figured I have to do my hair. But I did have to take a shower. I felt really gross. It's something I have to do once a month or every two months. Sorry, just have to. Uh, what I want to say about taking a shower is that there was a drought in California for a while and I don't shower super often. So it was cool because I got to like change my shtick from like, I'm dirty and disgusting to I'm an environmentalist. Um, but now that we're not in a drought anymore, I just look gross again. But anyway, I had to shower before I did this because I just felt gross and couldn't settle down. And when I was in the show, you get really, or in the shower, show, short for shower, um, <laughs> you get really lost in thought. And I was getting very lost in thought and I was thinking, oh, okay, uh, this, that. And then I started thinking about what I would post for my podcast on Instagram or whatevs to say like, hey, a new show's out. What should I put? And I instantly thought, oh, I'll just put a picture of me and Stevie. And then I, it was just one of those really quick thoughts that instantly realizes not possible or reality. And then I got very emotional in the shower. Very, very emotional. I started, I was crying. And you know what? When you cry in the shower, it's kind of a waste because your tears get washed away immediately. Like you lose drama, you know, not, a, not as much drama when you can't actually see you're crying. But I was very much crying. The thing is no one else is in the shower, but I still wanted my tears present, but they were washed away quickly by that, uh, by that water, that damn water. And... I had to think, well, what, do I just post a picture of myself? Like, hey, today's guest is me. And that's like, it's very pathetic and sad. And it's not what I wanted the show to be. I mean, I do want everything to be about me. I do, but just not in the circumstance. And it's just disappointing because I still don't know what I'm going to post to be like, hey, the show's up. Do I just post a logo? Bah, boring. It's a cool logo, but people don't, you know, you've seen it, you it kind of falls by the wayside. You want something new. And so I don't know. I'm still deciding what I'm going to post. You guys will see. It'll be up. And if you do want to follow me to see what I post, if you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Karn, K-R-I-S-C-A-R-N, or on Twitter at Kristen Carney, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-C-A-R-N-E-Y. You guys see how I just shortened the name there for the Insta account? It's also my Snapchat, Chris Karn. But whatever. I'm not promoting myself. I'm just kind of saying... I'm frustrated because I don't know what to post. Anyway, when I was just talking about being in the shower and getting lost in thought, my intern, Day, he was not in there with me. I'm like, excuse me, Day, could you hand me the soap? Thank you. I have um, very high maintenance. And he has a very hard job, clearly. Um, but I was rereading an email that he sent to me, and he mentioned flow and, and falling into flow and how it's very helpful in terms of kind of getting in the moment. And I've mentioned it, mentioned it because I like sketching. And when I sketch, I lose my anxiety for a few minutes and I lose the need to want to check my phone and all that kind of stuff. So Day wrote, 
psychologists call it flow. It's like rock climbing or race car driving. It's an activity where you're so focused, you don't have time to think about your day or what happened yesterday or what will happen tomorrow. You're in the moment. And I always feel like I achieve shower flow. There's actually, there's a, there's a, uh, a part on Reddit, the website that's called shower thoughts. And there's some crazy, good, amazing, insightful thoughts. And they all seem to come when you're in the shower. I don't know if it's like you just get lost by the beauty of your nude body. Probably not, you know. Um, But I really love the idea. So I actually started sketching the other day because I am on vacation with my family. And the whole point of this being away from L.A. for two months is to lose myself a little bit. Not my mind. It's funny how you want to lose yourself but not your mind. I wanted to kind of lose myself in the simple things and what I remember as a kid and the beautiful, we're, you know, New Hampshire right now. And so the beautiful coastline and the smell of the ocean, because it's such a unique smell. It does not smell like this in many other parts of the world that I've been to where there's ocean. Um, But in New Hampshire or New England, it's like this just salty, fishy, uh, minerally therapeutic smell. It's insane. And you think you smell fishy and salty and it will smell gross, but it doesn't. It's so cleansing and it's so good for you. And I've wanted to take advantage of that. But when I get here, I immediately am like, oh, I have to check my phone. What's going on with this person? And what about this guy who hasn't texted me? And, and so I'm not totally losing myself in the trip like I wanted to. So yesterday I didn't have to force myself to sketch, but I had to make myself sketch because for me it's so easy to not do anything, to just kind of numb out and lay and lay and stare. Like if someone says, what are you doing? This is from Seinfeld. Elaine once said like literally nothing. I'm just sitting staring. And I find that to be so easy, but it doesn't help me in any sort of way. Um, And this trip so far that I've been on with my family in New Hampshire has been semi-difficult because the weather has been very bad. And usually my favorite color is gray. I tell people I love gray, and I do. If someone says, what's your favorite color, it's gray, which clearly clearly is an indication of probably depression. But to be honest, it's an amazing neutral. It's like... um, you know, it can go with black, it can go with brown, it's it's understated, you can dress it up with colors, but when the sky is gray and the clouds are gray, it makes the grass even look gray, and it's way too overwhelming, and as a fan of the color gray, I cannot handle gray days, and so it's been really hard for me here, and I'm not used to it anymore because I've lived in California for nine years, and it's obvious so much sunshine. And here it's, it's like my brain is kind of doing that seasonal affective disorder when it's gray, it's bad. So I've kind of, I kind of sunk into a hole when I got here and I had to do the sketching yesterday because it lifted me out of that gloom feeling. I think more so it lifted me out of the gloom feeling was that the sun freaking came out and it felt wonderful and I felt alive again. But while I was in that gloom, I had to sketch and it did help. And I actually was very, very bummed because uh, I had to stop 
early because I'd got out to eat with my family, forcing me to eat and shit. Anyway, so I want to read something about flow real quickly for you. Not the waitress, not that annoying progressive insurance lady, but this is flow. Like chilling, living in the moment, not being your anxious self, and just living. So flow is the mental state of a person when he is completely immersed in one activity or event, a moment in which all of his energy is focused on one thing so that he is oblivious to the world around him. It is a single-mindedness that harnesses all emotions into one action to produce a kind of rapture. Flow is a moment of nothingness, when all senses are so focused on an activity that a person isn't able to feel anything in his environment, and that nothingness or suspension of feeling can be experienced as bliss. Sounds good, huh? It does. Um, so this dude, Mihaly, I am not going to, there's like asterisks and shit in this. <laughs> there's none in his name, but um, this dude's name, it's like Mihaly Sis, if you guys, okay, I'm going to get to something later in the show and this is going to contradict what I'm going to get into later, but anyway, I don't sound intelligent because I'm Sisk. Z and Timahali. This is kind of like how they, <laughs> this is why I could never work on NPR because I don't pronounce things really pretentiously and correctly. And by pretentious mean, pretentiously, I mean correctly. Anyway, this dude, the super cool dude with a weird name because he's foreign. So anyone who's foreign is weird. Just kidding. Um, so, so this dude first defined the positive psychology concept of flow after interviews with artists who would get so immersed in their work they would forget about eating, sleeping, or showering. Oh, see, that's what happened with me. That's why I haven't showered, guys. It's not because I'm a disgusting slob or an envir environmentalist. It's because I'm an artist, and I'm so deep in what I'm doing. That's my new excuse. Anyway, so in the article it says, he wanted to understand this phenomenon and see if there was something in their paintbrushes that made them so mo motivated and happy. In his article, Flow Theory and Research, his, he lists six factors as encompassing an experience of flow. So number one, intense and focused concentration on the present moment. Number two, merging of action and awareness. Number three, a loss of reflective self-consciousness. And that's my worst because reflectiveness for me, it's like I'm reflecting on everything and not in a great way. It's like, how is that bad? What did I do wrong? How did I screw that up? So not being or not being able to reflect is, is great, especially if there's not a mirror around. That is good, too, because I like get obsessed with that reflection as well. Uh, number four, a sense of personal control or agency over the situation or activity. Number five, a distortion of temporal experience. One subjective experience of time is altered. And number six, experience of the activity is in, as intrinsically rewarding, also referred to as autotelic experience. And I'm just pausing here real quick because I'm recording this and I'm like, oh my God, have I been recording this? And dear God, thank you, I have. Okay, thank God. That's a good thing because I just almost freaked out. So anyway, um, he did a TED Talk and described the experience of a leading composer of music in the 70s. So when you're really involved in this completely engaging process of creating something new, as this man is, he doesn't have enough attention left over to monitor how his body feels or his problems at home. He can't even feel that he's hungry or tired. His body disappears. His identity disappears from his consciousness because he doesn't have enough attention like none of us do. 
it's like our brains, I'm saying this, this he, these are his words, but now I'm jumping to me, the less intelligent words, but it's like our brain doesn't have enough space. Either you're focused or you're thinking about how big your stomach feels. You know, it's like one or the other. It's so in flow. You can't focus on how big your stomach feels. So my piece of advice would be if you are going to get into flow and do something that you get lost in, that's when you can eat a lot and feel gross because you won't feel it. So anyway, just little advice from the K-Dog. Anyway, you guys get the point. I think you should look into activities that will help you fall into flow. And I almost think like it, it, it doesn't have to be, I, I mean, this is my personal experience. I don't think that you have to be doing anything deep or crazy meaningful or world changing to get into that flow. And I think I get into it when I go, this sounds ridiculous, but I'm telling you, I get into flow when I go into Forever 21. I do have anxiety because I'm spending money. Um, even though their clothes are dirt cheap, it's still spending money, which I can't do. But you, I get so um, in, in lost in it because it's a huge store and my mind is focused on what I'm looking for. And I think shopping is just a, it is there. That's why they call it like shopping therapy or whatever they call it, um, or retail therapy, because you kind of do disappear and it feels really good for a little while. So if you're thinking like, I don't have hobbies or I don't, you know, paint or compose music or sketch, I think it could be anything as simple as the shopping. Um, so I hope you have money is that's basically the lesson for everything. Just have money. The end. Goodbye. Show over. Um, and I, so that's, that's kind of what I'm going to say on flow. Um, I could talk for hours on the progressive lady named flow on, um, on, on TV, the commercials. I think she's just, she's probably a great actress and she's super lucky because she's making so much freaking money. But those commercials are bad and they've been going now for years. Like I thought, I thought Flo would have died of um, cholesterol, high cholesterol like years ago, but here she is still on TV, still going. Anyway, that's good. There's good flow and then annoying flow. So get into the good flow. Uh, and since that has to do with anxiety, well, no, I won't get to that yet. Um, I wanted to mention this. At the top of the show, I said, you probably get annoyed if someone's like, smile, it's not so bad. That's so annoying. But something that annoys me so much, the Life is Good brand drives me insane. Drives me insane, the Life is Good brand. And whoever had the balls to start this brand, like, have you ever looked on the news ever once in your life? The person who started it must have never, ever stepped out of their beautiful home with a pool and servants because outside of that shit, life isn't good. And it's so funny to me because I'll see um, the Life is Good brand on cars. Like, I've seen it a lot on Jeeps where they have the spare tire and then the tire cover says Life is Good. And every time I see that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's going to be so funny when your car slipped over after you get in an accident and you're dying. How is how good is life going to be then? It's not going to be good. Or if you're driving your beautiful car and you have a life is good bumper sticker on it and you just go by some poor dude in a wheelchair, no, life's not so good for him. Are you assuming that he can't read? You're like, oh, dudes in wheelchairs and people have shitty lives. They can't read. So they won't be offended by, by my bumper sticker. And it's weird because I'm, I'm, I don't get offended by things. I'm not offended by the bumper sticker. I'm not worried about people being offended. It's just insensitive in a way of like 
you're so dumb. Like you just have no concept at all. And it's nice to be positive and spread positivity, but like you don't have to do it when it's just like rubbing it in someone's face. I feel like those things just rub it in someone's face. I'm driving down the road. I'm having a bad day because I have no goddamn money. I'm driving for Uber. I don't have a boyfriend. I'm 34 and I'm, I can barely, I'm eating McDonald's because it's all I can afford. And my friend kills herself. And then some dude drives by with a life is good bumper sticker. And it just rubs it in your face. It's just like, hey, Kristen, did you not feel shitty enough? If you didn't, here's this dude who's super ignorant to everyone else. But anyway, hate that brand. This was a commercial for Life is Good, by the way. They paid me to say all that stuff. Just kidding. I have no sponsors on the show. Speaking of no sponsors, you guys should go to patreon.com slash mentallychill or mentallychillpodcast.com and become a patron and support this awesome show. So anyway, life is not good, but it can be good. Just don't rub it in someone else's face the end. Go to a third world country and bring that. I dare you. I dare you to go to a third world country and bring and wear that t-shirt there. And again, you're just like, well, they probably don't read or speak English, so they won't know. Well, you'd be lucky because if they did, they'd punch you in the face and you deserve it. The end. Okay. Why am I out of breath for that? It's weird. It's because I'm anxious because I'm doing this alone and I don't want to do this alone. It feels really weird. But anyway, I just took a sip of water. Okay, so I am kind of quickly going to get into the segments because I'm alone and don't really have anything to talk about. And I want to start with a depression impression. And that depression impression is Chelsea Handler. Now, I don't think she has depression, but I found this really cool article. I can't remember what magazine in style because that does not on the page, duh. I ripped out the page, um, so which is a memory I have from childhood. My mom steals nothing but hugs and kisses, but the only thing that I would see her steal when I was a kid was she would rip pages out of magazines and waiting rooms of, like, recipes and stuff, and she would, like, hoard these. So I did that to someone's magazine. I was like, oh, it's a good-ass article, and I'm stealing it. So anyway, I'm going to read it to you, and I thought it was really good, and I couldn't agree with it more. I think it is so, so, so good. So, um, okay. So these are not Chelsea's words, not mine. I would love to steal them, but I can't. Okay. Someone told me the other day that I was fearless and I almost spit out my aerosol spritz. Whatever the opposite of fearlessness is, that's what I have. It's called anxiety. I get anxiety when I don't finish reading a book in a reasonable amount of time. I get it if I don't push myself to exercise and eat right. It creeps in if I weigh too much or when my Spanish tutor is scheduled to come over and I've done absolutely nothing. I get anxiety if people from out of town want to stay at my house or if I have to go to a dance party. I get it when I have to sit down and write an article. My anxiety manifests itself in different ways. Sometimes it's just in my head and feels overwhelming as if I've agreed to do too much. Other times when I'm really nervous, my legs shake or my leg shakes and then I look like a real crackhead at some luncheon where I've been asked to speak about being a powerful woman. But it's nothing new. It's always been part of my life. When I was younger, I thought I would be less anxious when I grew up. If I could just grow up, then I'd be okay. 
I wouldn't have to worry about fitting in at school or being popular or if my parents had any money in their savings account or if my brothers and sisters would get married, start their own families and forget about me. I wanted things to be different. I wanted my own life, my own rules, and my own money. I hated being dependent on anyone. Ten years later, when I did my very first stand-up set, I was 21 years old and I was anxious. Alcohol helped. Yes, girl, it does. I started doing comedy at all the places you could in Los Angeles, from open mic nights at coffee shops to booked gigs at the Hollywood Improv. There wasn't a time when I didn't consider leaving right before my name was, was called. I thought it would get easier the better I got or the more successful I became. I kept thinking my anxiety-free life was just around the corner and all I had to do was get there. When I became well-known and was doing comedy in front of thousands of people, my confidence level changed, but there was still that sense of stress and dread. I would tell myself over and over again that the people in the audience had paid a decent amount of money to come see me and they were already on my side. Then I would tell myself that half the audience were men who were dragged there by their wives or girlfriends and would probably hate me. One morning a few years ago, when I was avoiding my Spanish homework, I started looking through old letters and pictures and found a note my mother had sent me when I moved to Los Angeles. Don't ever complain about where you are because you're the one who got yourself there. My mom always said silly things that never seemed to mean anything, but her words meant something to me that morning. Even though anxiety isn't the same thing as complaining, it's almost as if your mind is complaining. Your mind is stressed about the commitments or responsibilities that you have chosen to have. So I decided to do what I had been waiting my whole life to happen on its own. I grew, up my, I grew myself up. Anxiety doesn't have to be such a dirty word. It can be there for us to harness and to turn into something fierce. I also feel strong when I'm stressed because I know I have the drive to push through it and come out on the other side. I know I can flip that worry into something powerful. I still get anxiety about things I have to do professionally, and I'm pretty sure I always will. Knowing that's part of the process helps me focus not on the worry itself, but on the sense of accomplishment I'll feel afterward. I get more from going through with something than walking away from it. Whether I'm stressed about working out or speaking publicly or showing up when I feel too tired, I always tell myself, push through. This is only temporary. Time goes by. Even if you have something you're dreading, that feeling will not last forever. The work will be over in an hour. The party will stop. The day will end. And if you push past the fear, you've accomplished something and you're a stud again. Then people will start calling you fearless and you'll think, if they only knew. So, I love that because I relate from doing stand-up and when I'm that's I get when I get insane severe anxiety and like I think I said before like that my colon is super clear because of the anxiety just gives me diarrhea and then I just like poop and then I'm super skinny feeling but always going through that with my nerves with stand-up and so Every time, it's the same with me, like, I just want to run out the door. But then what her mother said, you put yourself there. And I would have those thoughts of, like, hey, I booked the show. I did this. Whether it's a good situation or a bad situation, I have thought to myself, I did this. I got myself here. And this is where I wanted to be. And I can deal with it. Um, and so I like that for that level. But also because you do look at someone like Chelsea Handler, who is super sassy, seems incredibly strong, and is a person underneath it who gets senses of dread, fears that people won't like her, 
and you mask it. And that kind of makes me wonder how many people in the spotlight are masking themselves. I used to take an acting class and in that acting class, we would talk about masking a lot. So masking is, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious, but you know, if you read a line that says like, where were you tonight? When you know a couple's arguing, arguing in a script, you don't come out and you yell, where are you, where were you tonight? You want to mask because there's layers underneath that mask. So you say like, where were you tonight? Kind of more subtle so that your emotions don't show through so that the audience senses some realness because not everyone always shows how they feel right away. Everyone masks. And I would love if we could all just take off those masks and be like, yo, I'm anxious. Yo, I'm sad. Yo, I'm bipolar. Yo, sometimes I stand at the counter and drink pickle juice with mustard on chips. I mean, (laughs) we're not all perfect. And I would just love if everyone could share that information. It makes the world feel a lot more relatable and closer. And it makes me feel a lot less crazy and all of that. But that's Chelsea's deal. And since that was about anxiety, I wanted to read you um, this guy's um, four steps to stop having anxiety or how to deal with anxiety. And I really like them. Um, You can find it at jeffblades.com, G-E-O-F-F-B-L-A-D-E-S.com slash how dash to dash deal dash anxiety. Um, But again, G-E-O-F-F for Jeff, which is the most hilarious evil spelling of Jeff on his parents' part because you know that he's going to have to deal with that for the rest of his life. So it's evil for Jeff, but also evil for the people around him that have already written J-E-F-F, and then they're using a pen and not a pencil, and they can't erase. And who carries white out, by the way? I don't know who does. Um, But let me read you these four steps. So number one, stop thinking about everything else. And actually right now, as I'm reading this to you, I am thinking about this recording and I'm kind of doing this all broken up. So I don't have, um, any, like it's all out of order kind of, because I'm doing this by myself. So I'm kind of moving things around and I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to be recording over another part that I already recorded. And I just did something shoot. Anyway, It's really frustrating doing this by myself. To be honest with you guys, I just did not want to do this today. I did not want to do this. I want Stevie here. I don't want to do this alone, and I'm totally frustrated. But anyway, I'm going to go back to reading you guys these four steps. So number one, stop thinking about everything else. And then it says, regardless of what you have on your plate for today, right now you are just reading this article. Or for you guys, you're just listening to this podcast. Nothing you're doing right now is affecting any of those other things you have going on, so stop thinking about them. This can be hard, but it's a matter of focus. You may be afraid of letting the thoughts go, and that's all right, but decide to face that fear and release the thoughts that get in the way of what you're doing right now. And it's like, oh my God, this sounds so easy when I say it to you guys. It's like, yeah, just don't think about those things and do what you're doing right now, but it's so hard, so difficult, and... I would say probably for me, one of the biggest issues I'm having right now. When I was in college, I didn't have this issue. Five years ago, I didn't have this issue, but I have this issue now. And um, it sucks. It sucks because it gets in the way of living in the moment. 
all the time, 100% of the time. Uh, okay, number two, visualize the task at hand going great. Don't fear, don't fear the worst. So right now you're reading an article on how to overcome anxiety and empower yourself. Imagine yourself at the end of this article going forth and putting all of this into practice. Imagine that you immediately begin overcoming anxiety and that each day after today is lived with more and more confidence. Yeah. Yeah, right, Jeff. I can't do any of this shit. But, like, it's true. Imagine, like, visualizing is so important. And I don't want to get weird, but I feel like visualizing is kind of like the the secret, kind of. I think you put things out in the universe, you get them back. Except, like, in the secret, they're like, oh, just visualize checks, and you'll get checks in your mailbox. Um, yeah, okay, no, I won't. But it's true. If you envision yourself getting over the anxiety, it's at least more likely that you will, and less likely you won't. You might as well at least try to visualize it and see if that happens, because what's there to lose? If you don't visualize it, you'll definitely never get it. But if you visualize it, you at least inc increase your odds. So number three, he says, ask yourself how the future feels. I don't, I like, mm, I like these number three makes me feel a little anxious because it's like kind of saying like, stop thinking about everything else. But then he's telling us to ask how the future feels, which I understand why, but a little contradictory. But anyway, looking into a future where you are confident, where you live without overwhelming self-doubt and anxiousness, what does it feel like to live with such ease? Practice this feeling and wire it, quote-unquote, into your neurology. Let that feeling inspire you, but also reassure you that everything else is okay. If that is your future, what are you worried about? I totally agree with that, but I, for me, my problem is fearing that the future isn't good. That I end up poor, alone, having no success, totally wrinkly, and getting fat. So... Anyway, I guess I have to visualize a better future. And then number four, he said, absorb fully into what you're doing, which is the flow that I was talking about earlier. With that joyful confidence that the future will work itself out, allow yourself to engage fully in the present moment. You're reading an article or listening to an awesome podcast right now, and that's it. Just absorb. Afterwards, there will be another task at hand, and you will be 100% mentally engaged by it as well. Living right now in this moment is the antithesis of anxiety and a major key to success. Master the system and you are training what we know to be the most important emotional state for peak happiness and performance, flow. Isn't that special how that all tied together? And I did not intend that to happen at all. I wish I did, but that was, that was not my fault. That was the universe working with me, totally. So thanks, universe, for not being a dick for once. That's pretty cool of you. And now I'm going to get into who's sadder, and here's a little insider info. I was desperately trying to get Bill Burr to be on this episode of this podcast because I'm in New Hampshire, as I've mentioned, and he was performing right down the street from where I'm staying, and so I got in contact with, I believe, his assistant, and we were trying to make it work, but he didn't have time. But I had written this Who Satter just for him because I thought he would do such a good job. With that. He would do a good job with any Who Satter because he's amazing and hilarious. If you guys don't know who he is, check him out. An amazing comedian. Um, but he's so good at seeing through douchebags. And so I thought this was such a good Who Satter for him. So if I get to have him on in the future, which I am visualizing him in the future. So I will manifest him. Um, 
I'll redo this one with him. But so this week's Who Sadder is Corvette Guy or Hummer Guy. So a guy who drives a Corvette or a guy who drives a Hummer. And I would have to say that I'm going to talk this out with you guys because I really haven't talked it out in my head alone. I've been too busy looking in the mirror. Um, So I would say Corvette guy is lonelier because Hummer guy can fit a lot of people into his car or a lot of dead bodies, which I feel like at some point if he roids out too much, that'll happen. But I think the Corvette guy is definitely more of a midlife crisis guy who gets mad at a at a restaurant if service isn't up to par and probably has a smaller ween. That's my sexy word for penis. Um, and he probably has more of an uptight job and he gets a let loose by having a Corvette. I would say either he has cheated on his wife or his wife has cheated on him. He got the Corvette because his wife cheated on him. Um, if, if, you know, if that had been the scenario, um, or if he had cheated on his wife, he got the Corvette to impress chicks to pick up to then be able to cheat with. Um, and he's probably bald. And as you guys know, I feel super bad for the baldies. Whereas Hummer guy, I feel like Hummer guy is way more party bro who isn't necessarily stuck in a dead-end job. He might have more of an independent job, like not anything I would want to do, but maybe like, I don't know, um, construction or like he owns a construction company or something like that where he has more control over his hours and probably has a decent amount of money, but likes to go like pee on baby trees that are trying to grow or something like I just feel like he would do more douchey things um but hasn't hit the point in life where things have gone bad yet whereas I feel like Corvette guy hit a point in life where shit just started to go wrong and the way to correct it was to waste your money on a Corvette and I mean get a nice car by all means but like why a Corvette you could you know you're going to be Corvette guy if you get a Corvette it's just like stop Um, Hummer guy, he's not really worried about, the thing is with Hummer guy is that I think he's not affected by things in the world. And the reason I think that is because like, you know, gas is, you know, something that we don't necessarily want to use, but he just guzzles it up and isn't concerned about how it affects the environment or the countries that we get our relationship with countries. We get them it from all that kind of stuff. So I think Corvette guy has the potential to be very sad. I think Corvette guy feels more, but doesn't want to feel it, but feels it. And that's how he got it out was by getting a Corvette. Whereas Hummer guy doesn't really have the capacity to feel it, at least not this point in his life. And I do think Hummer guy could eventually morph into Corvette guy in like 15 years. Like he'll eventually turn into the Corvette guy because He'll eventually start get like start getting a gut, and he'll like start drinking more, and like because all of his friends that he took in his Hummer have grown up in a way and have matured and stuff. So, I think my conclusion is that Corvette guy is sadder, but I am assured that Hummer guy will get there. 
please let me know your opinions. Tweet me, DM me. Thank you for all the suggestions, by the way, for the Who Satters. I'm collecting them and we'll get to them for sure. And uh, yeah, that's my take. That's my take. But getting Bill Burr back and he's going to be amazing at breaking that down. And I, I do think he would come to the conclusion of Corvette guy as well. But um, anyway, on to uh, F that shit. So this F that shit is all about how mental illness is more prevalent in smart people. So y'all out there who's sad, it's because you're Einstein. And this is in an article, and I don't want to just read you guys articles, but it's hard doing a podcast alone, especially when I don't want to. Not that I don't want to do this podcast, but I was supposed to be having a convo with my friend Stevie, and now I'm not having a convo. I'm sitting in a room talking to myself and my parents on the other side, <sighs> probably hearing what I'm saying. That makes me uncomfortable. But... I want to give a shout out to this chick, Gianna, who sent me this article on Instagram. And this is another kind of like obvious thing where you're like, well, yeah, obviously. Um, but I guess when, I guess there's this little thing called science that people like to have um, to back up theories, etc. Not me. I just, I'm too lazy for that kind of stuff. But um, uh, basically this article was about how people who are more intelligent are more likely to be depressed or have mental disorders. So I'm going to read that for you guys. So shout out Gigi, Gianna, Udabom, another bomb. I hope your last name starts with B. So it's titled, Why Smarter People Are More Likely to Be Mentally Ill. For the late American novelist David Foster Wallace, that doomsday came September 12, 2008. After suffering for years from major depression, one of the greatest, most influential writers in a generation succumbed to illness with a hangman's rope in the garage. In death, Wallace joined a pantheon of notable artists and thinkers plagued by mental health disorders such as depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia, among other ailments. Indeed, society has long associated higher intelligence and creative thinking with mental illnesses ranging from the slight to the severe. Affecting some 2.5% of the U.S. population, bipolar disorder alone has touched many of our greatest achievers, including Vincent Van Gogh, Buzz Aldrin, Emily Dickinson, Ernest Hemingway, Jackson Pollock, and Stevie Ryan. I added that name in. Just to name a handful. And although lacking modern diagnosis, Shirley Virginia Woolf, who drowned herself in 1941, fit the type. Like the sword of Damocles. Damocles? Dear Lord, don't tell anyone I screwed that up. Higher intelligence may in some ways curse its beneficiaries. Aside from the usual desire to self-medicate, smarter people tend to drink alcohol and do drugs more than average. So the next time you guys get super drunk at the bar, like the next time you go do an Irish car bomb, just be like, um, it's because I scored really high on my SATs. Uh, duh, right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like, it's because I'm smart. And I do just want to say, while I'm reading this article, I feel very self-conscious because I did not do well in high school. Mentioned that, mentioned that on the show with my friend Kyle. I didn't graduate at the bottom of my class, but I certainly wasn't anywhere toward the top. And that has always, always hurt my self-esteem for a very long time. So the fact 
that I didn't do well in school and have depression bothers me because it's like, well, if I'm going to be cursed with depression and anxiety, I want to at least be smart or I want to at least be able to do long division. Like why is that asking too much? I don't think it is, but it bothers me. It's like, I don't, I, I wanted to read this article to you guys and pretend that I was one of them, but I did so bad on my SATs. It's, I will never tell anyone. And that is a Seinfeld reference again. Sorry to do two in one show, but Jerry says something to George, like, what was your SATs? And George is like, you know, I tell you anything, right? And he said, well, that I'm taking to my grave. And that is me because I said, I am an open book. I will tell you guys anything. I will talk about anything. I'm not embarrassed about 99.9% of things. I don't know if that's the right number to use since I'm so bad at math, but the one thing I will not talk about is my SATs. The way I can describe it is like my SAT scores are like, imagine being naked in front of an audience and you have poop on your butt. It, that's how bad it would be if I revealed my SAT scores. But I guess I'm just going to pretend I'm in this smart people group, but I don't necessarily think I am. I'm not dumb. I'm more street smart than I am book smart, I guess. Or I should say I'm less street dumb than I am book dumb. Did that make sense at all? See, my brain, anything that's too complex, I get overwhelmed. Did that make sense? I was trying to flip it. I don't know if I flipped it right. But anyway, I'm going to continue reading and pretending that I am one of these intellectuals, as they would say in a voice like this. Um, I'm really bad at accents also. Okay, like the Sword of Damocles. I'm super familiar with the Sword of Damocles. You know what, Gina? I'm taking back my shout out. This article is way too smart for me. Okay, like the Sword of Damocles, higher intelligence may in some ways curse its beneficiaries. Aside from the usual desire to self-medicate, smarter people tend to drink alcohol, do drugs more than average, perhaps seeking to drench a burning sense of curiosity described by the Savannah IQ interaction hypothesis. And I love how this article just assumed that we all know the Savannah IQ interaction hypothesis. Yes, yes, that I wake up every morning and think deeply about the Savannah IQ interaction hypothesis. Anyway, okay, it goes on to say the human brain has difficulty comprehending and dealing with entities and situations that did not exist in the ancestral environment. Um, in modern life, the opportunity to imbibe or to otherwise ingest mind-altering substances presents an, a, quote, evolutionary novel situation explored more readily by the smarter, bolder ones among us. In fact, the correlation is so strong, scientists say the inverse is true. People of lower intelligence are least likely to drink or use drugs, which, okay, but, like, there's, aren't, don't a lot of kind of people do meth and things like that or crack? I mean, I think there's a lot of people, I don't think you have to be a genius to do drugs. I, I understand what they're saying, but come to my hometown, it's meth lab central and probably not college degree central. So anyway, just take that into account. Now scientists have identified a biomolecular connection between curiosity as a trait and intelligence in general, as evidenced by a 2009 study from, from researchers at the University of Toronto. 
Other research supporting a link between intelligence and mental health problems shows bipolar disorder may be four times as common among young adults who'd earned straight A's in school. Though long suspected evidence for this connection was found by researchers at King's College in London. And we found that achieving an A grade is associated with increased risk for bipolar disorder, particularly in humanities and to lesser extent in science subjects. These findings provide support for the hypothesis that exceptional intellectual ability is associated with bipolar disorder. Perhaps not surprisingly, the correlation between A grades and bipolar disorder was strongest amongst students excelling in music and language, supporting popular notions about writers and artists with regard to mental health. I'm glad they said that because I'm like, mm, I don't know, the dude who's just like killing it at the math equations doesn't seem as depressed to me as someone who's super, super good at the violin. But it does go on to say that um, a university in Finland did a study and said that a someone good at arithmetic was also higher for mental illness, except it they were more likely to experience mania due to the rapid processing skills. So I definitely don't have mania because I don't have rapid processing skills. I'm just super witty, but that's about it. So... Anyway, I do definitely think there's a correlation between smarty pants people and sadness. Um, I think there's just um, an ability to feel more, absorb more, think about more, and therefore get sadder. But anyway, that's it for the show today. I'm peacing out at 55 minutes or so because I really just did not want to do this by myself today. I'm really, really, really sad. And I'm just going to embrace the discomfort and be like, whatevs. And I guess that's my pep talk. Is it just embrace the discomfort, go with it, get through it. I did the show, didn't want to do the show. I like, I still want to do the show. I just didn't want to do it alone. But anyway, that's it for this week. Please make sure to go and donate on Patreon. Remember, it's patreon.com slash mentallychill, or just go to mentallychillpodcast.com and click become a patron. And also, please share the show with a friend, growing the audience. Let's spread this show like a freaking disease, right? Like, just like, go out and just, you know, don't use protection and spread the show around. And I'd really appreciate it. So thank you again for listening and stay sad enough to listen to the show, but not too sad. And I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>